Alright, turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark chapter 12. The Gospel of Mark chapter 12. As you turn there, in 1998, it was the summer going into my freshman year of Hilo High School, and I applied for Alulike summer jobs. And my first job of 19, the summer of 1998 was Hilo Hospital. I worked in the warehouse with some good old uncles down there, Uncle Brad and Uncle Nelson. And it was when minimum wage was five twenty-five. dollars Everybody remember those years? Some of you. All right. It's five twenty-five Now, for a local boy that made nothing at all, that was amazing, right? So I did the mat, right, in a week for 40 hours. I would make about $210. So I expected every other week I would get paid around $420. And like many rookies who have never got a paycheck in their life. You guys have all experienced this if you've had a job before, right? You were like me. You were discouraged, right? As I opened up my paycheck in this envelope, Hawaiians, I realized $120 was missing from my labor, all right? And there's this thing called taxes. Let me tell you something. If the devil did not become more real to me than ever than that day, he is a liar. Can I get a witness out there, right? $120. And you got to imagine, I have this Dodge Omni, this 1973 Dodge Omni. Does anybody know what a Dodge Omni is? It's an old hatchback car, right? And so my hopes was that I can fix it up. Well, not me, pay somebody to fix it up and all that. But, you know, you can barely do anything with $1,000 sometimes, you know. And, and so I was not ready for this. The struggle, help me out, was real. I wasn't ready for this. I made more money selling musubis at Hilo High School for a dollar. Some of you may not know what, what I'm talking about, right? Like, like I was part of the first generations of Musubi salesmen, all right, in the high school, all right? I made $20 a day, all right? And I didn't even do the labor. Why? Because I was a spoiled mama's brat. Mama made me everything. The only thing I had to pay for was ingredients, spam, right? And when this check came in, it was like somebody stole something from me. Well, not to bust your bubbles today, nothing has changed. There still is taxes today. Can I get a witness, right? Tax still exists. The struggle is real. And what we've been doing last week, we kicked off a new series entitled The Struggle is Real, Living a Christian Life in a Fallen World. And there's three things I want us to recap from last week as a re- reminder for all of us that when we are in the day-to-day struggle, remember God's patience, remember God's sacrifice through his perfect son, and remember God's judgment. Today, we're going to continue to look at the main character of the scriptures. Not Daniel, not David, not John, not any of the great disciples and apostles of the faith. But the greatest man who has ever lived, the God-man, we call him Jesus. 
So would you stand with me in God's perfect reading of the word? And I want to address the struggle today in this dialogue. Mo'ko'ko. Chapter 12, starting in verse 13 of the Gospel of Mark, declares that, And they sent to him, Jesus, some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians, to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to Jesus, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearance, but truly teach the way of God. It is lawful, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the what? Test. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscriptions is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at Jesus. God, we pray that in the same way, we would marvel at your word today. As we sung in the spirit, as we sung in truth, as we also gave and as we are fellowshipping and hearing your spirit and your truth today, we pray that you would be so highly lifted up. And if there's any hakaka in our lives, anything that's not bringing glory to you, Lord, we pray that you will take care of it. We lay it at your feet. For your feet is the feet that possess all the authority, honor, and glory that you are due for and that you deserve. In your matchless and marvelous name, God's Ohana says, Amen. You may be seated. Noho ilalo. So there's a series of dialogues that take place in the temple between Jesus and the religious leaders. The group that is called the Sanhedrin. Say that with me again. Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrins were made up of priests, scribes, and elders, as we learned a few weeks ago. Each dialogue, each conversation is a different way on how the Sanhedrin attacked Jesus in the temple. The first conversation, they attacked Jesus with questioning him about his authority. The second conversation, the dialogue was regarding the parable of the tenants, as we learned last week. And lastly, today, we learn about the issue of taxes. This is a struggle today, and this was a struggle then. And this will always be a struggle until the Lord Jesus returns. However, I would argue that today's verses go much deeper than the issue of tax, everybody. But the issues that are at stake here is not what's in our wallet or our bank account. The issue is the heart of man. Man's heart is in need of salvific redemption. 
But man cannot do nothing to experience salvation apart from understanding this dialogue. In fact, I would say so boldly that this dialogue is what we call the gospel. Jesus is having a conversation about the gospel. And here are three issues we see today in our verses. Mao Kao Kao. Number one, religious politics. I want you to see at verse 13. All right? As we look at verse 13, it says this very simply, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians. All right, let's break this down. The word they, okay, is the Sanhedrin. These are the three people groups that we talked about in the last few weeks. The high priests, the scribes, the elders. This is they, okay? And what we see in this text specifically is that they, their dialogue with Jesus is not enough to persuade Jesus in teaching false doctrine. Therefore, they bring out the heavy hitters. Here are those heavy hitters, right? The first word, Pharisees. The second one, Herodians. I want you to see very clear that this is evilness at its finest. That this is political and religious evilness taking place. Why? Because the Pharisees and the Herodians were enemies. But for one instance, they will unite with each other just so that they can attack the Savior of the world. Hey, if you ask me, sounds like politics today. It don't matter who's our president or vice president anymore. It don't matter about their credentials. It don't matter. I mean, the reality is these, the political evilness of this genre is basically this. I'm going to do what I need to do. In order to win. Now, that phrase is not completely wrong, but in its direction, we see that it is wrong. The Pharisees were a religious party, the Herodians were a political party, the Herodians were followers of King Herod, the same Herod who killed all babies from two years and under at the birth of Jesus. Do you remember that day? Do you remember that story? Now, that Herod is gone about this time is the new Herod. The word Herod actually means king, just like we would use the title Kamehameha. It's the same title or president or prime minister. The word Herod is a title of the highest authority of a system of government. These two parties are usually opponents, but at one instance, they they get together. To attack Jesus. The religious elders could not find a way to trap Jesus. So in their dialogue, therefore, their hopes is that these Pharisees and these Herodians could do the job. This is danger. This is evilness at its finest. Right? And here's the biblical truth, Hawaiians and Christians. Listen to me. We must not allow politics to shape our view of the gospel. Let me say that again. We, the church of God, the one who is blood-bought by Christ himself, we cannot allow politics to shape our view of the gospel. But we must allow the gospel 
to shape our view of politics. I want you to hear me clearly. Politics isn't completely wrong. Politics isn't completely bad. Its intent is to find a better way to live civilly and in prosperity together for the people, by the people. But for these religious leaders and these political leaders, they were offended of the teaching ministry of Christ Jesus. So these dialogues confirm that their main objective is to attack Christ, is to attack Jesus. In fact, the word we look at, look at verse 13, going back to verse 13, specifically as we look at these verses, the word I want you to highlight in your Bible is the word trap him. Highlight that word, trap him. The word trap him is another phrase that stands for to catch him. It's the only time in the New Testament that we see this word used for the sake of evilness against Christ himself. In fact, the theologian James Brooks says that the use of this word implies deceit and treachery. The means of this dialogue was already planned out before it happened. Are you with me? They had it figured out already. In and of itself, this means is murder. The way God uses this approach and he talks to people about murder, right? This word to catch or to trap is a picture of hunting. I don't know if you hunt or you've been hunting, but there's a plan in the process. Now, I hunted here a few times doing catching pigs with dogs, but the reality when I went to Tennessee, it's a whole nother big, uh, it's a whole nother game, right? You stay in a deer stand for hours upon hours. Now, for me who was overweight, I'm not getting up in that deer stand, hallelujah, right? I'm going to stay below, but we'll be there for 11 hours, right? And I'm with my awesome redneck pastor, Mike Cahu. And he got his muzzle loader, right? Ready to shoot a buck. One hour, two hour, three hour, four hour, five hour. The plan does not change, but you just be patient. Because when that buck comes right into that crosshairs, right? This is how the Pharisees and the Herodians approached Jesus that day. They waited for the perfect target and perfect time to catch him, right? And how they manipulate him is just out of this world. We move from a religious politics to, secondly, a religious manipulation in verse 14 and in verse 15. That's the second truth, that we see a religious manipulation. Verse 14 says, and they came and said to him, teacher, So they did not denounce him in his authority of being teacher, but they want to find an angle in which they can criticize his teaching. In fact, what they use in religious manipulation is flattery. Look at how they use flattery. In verses 14, it says, you are true, Jesus. You don't care of others' opinions. Could you imagine Jesus listening to them, hearing them say that? Yeah. Even yours, right? You are not caught off guard by people's appearances. You are a true teacher. 
This is flattery at its finest. This reminds me of my children today. When they come home from school, right? There is an agenda in saying, Daddy, I love you. What you like, Hawaiian. Right? It's the nature of our sin. We use flattery to get our own way. Every one of us is guilty. Maybe some of us men, we getting into motorcycles these days, right? How's it, babe? How you, Hawaiian? Hey. Hey, you know what? Have a nice holiday down the road. Yeah, what you think? You know, my wife would say, uh-uh. You wish, right? Flattery. And ain't it true that flattery works? Flattery works. Why? Because we are fallen beings in need to be flattered. How many of you don't, I mean, we want to hear some nice things about me, right? Especially you who are words of affirmation people. Oh, right, you look good. Hey, right on. Wow, I love your new haircut, Kahu. Even if it's crooked, man, it's beautiful. Well, there's something good about you. Like, you're, you're glowing. And if you don't watch out, you may say, oh, you're pregnant? And uh, I'm not pregnant. What are you talking about? <laughs> the flattery ain't going to work, y'all. Isn't that the reality? Flattery is a mechanism of sin. And this is what these religious scholars and political leaders did to Jesus. The true trap and catchphrase they use to entangle Jesus in the conversation deals with what verse 15 talks about. This big question, right? And verse, back up to verse 14. They says, right, it is, it, is it lawful, right, to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Then verse 15, go down, right? Look at verse 15. All right, go to verse 15, please. But knowing their what? Hypocrisy, right? Jesus is not fooled by man-made tactics. Now, we may be fooled, but Jesus is not fooled. Though they questioned his authority three weeks ago that we studied, Jesus continues to represent his authority through his comprehension as fully man and fully God, right in this one sentence, right? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, now Jesus does what he always does. He questions with a question. A question is approached to him. Therefore, his tactic is he's at, he asks a question back. And he says, why put me to the test? Why did Jesus say, why put me to the test? I just showed you all these signs and wonders in the last few weeks that we just talked about, right? Or for this instance, it's days, the last couple of days. Why put me to the test? And then what he does, he continues forward and he says, bring me a denarius and let me look at this, at it. What is a denarius? A denarius is a coin. It's a silver coin that's worth around 20 cents. It's actually an average daily earning for workers and specifically soldiers of the time. Now, you may think that 20 cents is not a big deal, but in that time, it was everything. 
People made a living and a good wage off of 20 cents, a denarius. And I want you to see very clearly that the coin was very specific. It was Roman silver coin with Tiberius Caesar on one side, right? And his mother, Livia, on the other side. Now, listen to me very clearly. I want you to see the manipulation in this question. The Pharisees and the Herodians said a question that they thought would compromise the life of Jesus. They used the temple setting and the tax platform to hopefully condemn Jesus. Right? This is very political. This is very manipulating. That the Lord, listen to it, that the Lord would be put in his own house to question his authority and his theology and his doctrine by men who don't want to have a serious dialogue, but his, their whole plan is to kill him and execute him right there. Are you with me? So number one, we see a religious politics. Number two, we see religious manipulation. Number three, and finally, we see religious Redemption. Look at verses 16 and 17. It says, And they brought a denarius to Jesus. And he said to them, right? Let's look at it. He said to them, right? Who's what? Say it with me. Whose likeness and what? Inscription is this. And what did they say? Jesus. Right? They said, Jesus said Caesar, right? And so I want you to see two platforms that I think would help us understand taxation, but more importantly, the gospel. The first platform is this. Jesus acknowledges the legitimacy of human government. Now, now hear me out very clear. Jesus does this by saying these words. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Jesus is not excommunicating that government is bad. He's not saying that. In fact, he's legitimately saying that government, human government, is good. The distance Jesus from all forms of political anarchy, this is, this is the best scene in this day by the zealots. If you don't know the zealots, the zealots would be like the sovereignty movement here in Hawaii. The sovereignty movement of gaining Hawaii, the kingdom of Hawaii back. This would be the modern day zealots for us today. Right? These zealots believed that the overflow, overthrow of the Roman Empire was the will of God. And that may be similar to us Hawaiians today. That the overthrow of America would be the will of God for us Hawaiians. On the other hand, Jesus' answer cannot be constructed to the means that God and government are two separate and inclusive entities independent of one another. Jesus is not saying in this text, here's the government and here's me. In one instance, in perfect harmony, Jesus is saying, no, this is one. Jesus is saying, look at Romans 13, 1 to 7. It says that Jesus, God himself, he puts authority in place. You ready for this? You sure you guys ready for this? Whoever is president is God's choice. Are you with me? Whoever is governor is God's choice. 
Whoever is mayor is God's choice. Whoever, listen to me, whoever is kahu is God's choice. Then you would look at it and say, well, Osama bin Laden and Saddam Hussein wasn't great leaders. They were God's choice. Now, Caesar wasn't a perfect king. If you read through history, you see a lot of issues with Caesar. But it was God's choice. You guys listen to me this morning. Therefore, the way a Christian responds to God's choice reveals to us whether their heart is a heart of Christ or the heart of those Pharisees and Herodians. It discourages me to see that Christians are more prone to proclaim the name of Biden and Trump, Harris and Pence, in mean and ugly and gruesome ways. And that we will tell each other that we're not Christians because you're voting here and there. Let me tell you, I will never teach on who you should vote for. But I will preach the counsel of Scripture. Jesus, in his sovereignty, is saying, government, right? Government and my position as Lord, guess what? I'm still the Lord of all. This is what Jesus is confessing. God is sovereign over all human affairs, including political ones. This passage affirms that there are duties to governments that do not infringe on ultimate duties to God. While strongly rejecting that governments may assume total claim over their citizens, should and could become the single and authoritarian order of human life. By this, fulfilling the church's vocation as well. Let me remind you of a story. In the Old Testament, there was a prophet named Daniel. And he had three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king, the Caesar, the president, the Kamehameha at the time, said, everybody must bow down to my statue. You must worship me. If you don't know the story, read it in Daniel. And then what happened was there was three young boys who said, we only worship one God. And he's the living God. Some of you may know the story. Because of that, they grabbed the soldiers of Nebuchadnezzar, grabbed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they put them in the furnace. They said the furnace was so hot that some of the servants of the king could literally have to throw them from a distance. Because every time they would come closer to the furnace, they would burn up. And Nebuchadnezzar told one of his soldiers, go and see. Now, that is a poor king for you. Why did the king not go himself? You know Hulk in Avengers, the movie? You remember Hulk when he embossed Floki, Loki, whatever his name is? What did he say after that? Puny God, right? That's the reality. Soldier went. He looked into the furnace. And then he saw these three brothers chilling in the hottest fire of mankind. But they wasn't just chilling alone. There was a fourth person in it, right? Who is that fourth person, everybody? Jesus. This is called a Christophason. 
A Christophison literally means, the doctrine of Christophison means that Jesus was in the Old Testament as well. And now Jesus brings it back. You guys know the story, right? Jesus rescues these three men. They're looked at as heroes. And Nebuchadnezzar would eventually be overthrown by a different kingdom, the Medes and the Persians. And then after that, the Medes and the Persians would be overthrown as well in history. What am I saying? God sits on his throne. The earth is his footstool. He is in complete control even when the world is out of control. Jesus is making this recommendation and truth be known to them. That, that he acknowledges the legitimacy of human government. The second platform that Jesus redeems, Jesus acknowledges the legitimacy of honor and devotion to the Lord himself. Jesus being Lord. Right? Jesus' brilliant response is that he does not stop at the question. Read it, guys. He doesn't stop at the question where it says, right, do we have to pay Caesar what Caesar does? God, Jesus continues on. He says this, he addresses the Caesar issue, but then he adds on the God issue. He says, give to Caesar, help me out, what is Caesar's? But he didn't stop there. Thank God in our alphabet, in our language, in our grammar, we got a comma. Because what commas mean is continue, pause and continue on. But he says this, right? But give to God, help me out, what is God's? What a brilliant, right? Duty to Caesar is suppressed by duty to God. Let me say it in layman terms. Duty to the presidents of the United States is suppressed to duty to God. Hawaiians, listen to me. Duty to our fallen nation of the kingdom of Hawaii is suppressed not by America. Listen to me. But through the power and glory and honor of our most high God, Jesus the Christ. Are you with me? Don't think like Peter. Don't think in humanistic ways. Think on the things that are higher and that are above. As Isaiah says, Jesus suppresses everything for the glory of God. How do we know this? Because Jesus does not stop at just the Caesar issue. He continues to go on with God. This declares that the ultimate authority in our life ultimately does not belong to President Trump, but belongs to God himself. Can I get a witness out there, right? James Edwards says it this way. One cannot consider political and civil duties apart from faith, but only as expressions of the prior and ultimate claims of God. Jesus does not just make claim of himself, but in his sovereign goodness, he also makes a claim of Caesar. I want you, this is powerful. Jesus does declare that it is right to give to Caesar what is Caesar. He does not back away from that. But to find out more clarity of why he said that, we have to reread verse 16. Put up verse 16 on the screen, please. All right. And he said to them, 
Who is them? These scribes, these religious rulers, right? These lawyers, these politicians, right? Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to Jesus, say that name out loud, one, two, three, Caesar's. I never got this until I read it more and I prayed through Christ what this means. I want you to see this, all right? The word likeness, write this down because this one's going to slap you right in the jaw, all right? The word likeness is the word image. It's the word image, all right? Now, now listen to me. This word image is actually found all the way back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, where God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit says this, let us make man with our, in our what? Own image. It's the same truth in this text 15 plus 100 years later. Uh, so I want you to see this. I want you to see the connection between Genesis 1 and this verse in Mark chapter 12. Listen to me very clearly. It coined, the coin bears Caesar's image, right? So it belongs to Caesar. Are you with me? Well, look at it. But humanity, all right, let's address humanity. But humanity, which bears God's image, belongs to who? Are you with me? Then why would Jesus make this statement? Because ultimately, Caesar is the image of God. Let me go further. Donald Trump is the image of God. You may say, oh, heck no, Kahu, right? Right? You, 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 or some of you may say, not Kamala Harris. I promise you that. So, I mean, I'm just saying, look at me. Look around you right now. Go, look. Look, don't worry. Nobody going to punch you in the face. We family over here. Look around you. Guess what? Say these words to the person you're looking at. Say, hey, you, one image of God. All right, now look to the other side and say, hey, you, one image of God. Right, you know what? You guys got to hang out more. Well, I know we get COVID issues and all that, but no be shame in the church for looking. But that's the reality. We are image bearers of the King of glory. Jesus, in his sovereignty, is connecting the dots that the way man will be redeemed and restored is through his perfect perfection of Christ himself. In fact, let's go deeper. When they saw Jesus, they saw God in the flesh. And like many... You will deny him. And here's my heart. Here's my hopes. My hopes is that you would not deny the creator of the universe. But you would be exactly like the final verse said. That the people marveled at Jesus. And there's a few reasons why I believe they marveled. Number one, they've never saw any person speak to these religious leaders like Jesus spoke to them. 
This is why those who preach the word of God should preach it with boldness. Should not apologize for people's hurt feelings. We are should to preach the counsel of scripture. If you're going to preach the gospel, you guys ready for this reality? People going to catch feelings. People going to leave you. People going to walk away from you. Don't think that the Christian life is all about goo-goos and gagas and kumbaya circles. If you preach the true gospel, right, it's not going to feel like aloha, but it's going to be aloha. It's not going to seem like it, right? That's the reality of it. When we preach the gospel, we got to be just like what these outsiders saw Jesus as, right? Let's look at it again, right? He didn't care about people's opinions. He didn't care about what they wore or what kind of position they had in the community, right? He was a true teacher. He didn't care who's tithing, who's not tithing. He didn't, what he cared about was the exaltation of his glorious name through the Father, through the Holy Spirit. Jesus cares about us, right, through his relationship with God the Father. As he says in John chapter 17, may we be wild, may we marvel, may we be amazed, not because of poetic speech or a good communicator, because you're not getting that here every Sunday, I promise you that. I am fallible, Kahu Marcus is fallible, Ian Van Cleve is fallible, Connie is fallible, we are all fallible, but Jesus in his word is infallible. That's the gospel we preach. Don't worry about who comes and who don't come, right? We're going to see them. We're going to love on them. We're going to encourage them. This is what I want you to worry about. Worry about your own heart. Check your own heart. Check yourself. Check your speck in the eye. Check your authority. Do you lie under the authority of God or do you lie under the authority of man? Check where you stand, Hawaiians, today. Where do you stand? Do you care? Do you care about people's souls? Yes or no? All right, yes. All right. If you do, then preach the gospel. Preach the truth. We are image bearers of the king. So what are some takeaways? What are some takeaways from these verses? Number one, in this political season especially, we can trust God. I pray that from this political climate, that every one of us will come out stronger. And not stronger in our own efforts, but stronger in the gospel together. That when we have dispute and differences, we wouldn't use differences to manipulate and be political in the bad sense. But like Jesus, we would be restored in him. And we'd be able to have this tough, I mean, I hope you guys know that our church is a reformed church. There's not much reformed churches on this big island. When I say reformed, Calvinistic, we believe in doctrines that talk about sovereignty, predestination, election, limited atonement. We talk, we talk about those things, but listen to me. If you don't even understand, that's cool, but let's have conversations about it. Let's not just put things off because, oh, that's not biblical. Well, let's talk about it before you say it's not biblical. Because I've been on the other extreme. I grew up in the charismatic church. I grew up in Arminian theology and Wesleyan theology. 
that was all about man-centeredness and man's will. And listen to me. If you believe you can choose Jesus, praise the Lord. Let's talk through it, but are you done? Let's stop being passive about the hard topics. That's all. If you believe you can speak in an unknown tongue and that you be baptized by the Holy Spirit twice, then let's talk about it. And I don't agree with those things. I think there's specific languages we got to know in Greek and Hebrew that allows us to edify each other. But that's why the dialogues have to happen. Are you with me? The dialogues that they are happening in here is evil. There's a plan in it. It's to destroy Jesus, not to hear from Jesus. Could you imagine if we were better listeners? Husbands. Could you imagine if we were better listeners? What if our listening, what if our listening would provide us more truth? That we should listen. Let's trust God. Secondly, by trusting God, let's think in love each other. Let's honey honey each other. Let's serve each other. It's easy to love when people look just like you and act just like you, right? That's not love. Love goes beyond conformity. Are you with me? There's a lot of people I'm connected with. Call me Kahu. Call me pastor. My football team, about over a thousand boys now, the last eight seasons. They see me as their Kahu. They never come church. They never do that. But what matters, listen to me, what matters, would we be like Jesus and have dialogues about the gospel? Even when it's hard, even when it's tough, I think the world will be better. Now, I'm not saying that we'll be foolish like some of our political leaders and act stupid on a stage and just cut off each other and talk. No, but we would rise above and we would be just like Jesus. We would have the dialogue. Can we have the dialogue, guys? If we have questions that we, we, we fully disagree on, can we still have the dialogue at least? Not assume down the road, oh, he's, the bug is Pentecostal too much for me. Well, let me just tell you this, all right? I went to a Pentecostal church yesterday. My Hanai grandma passed away. She's with the Lord. We stayed in that celebration for three and a half hours. And it was the most gospel-filled, gospel-centered, gospel-urgent church uh, service that I've been in a long time, Hawaiians. You're going to learn that sometimes we don't fit perfectly in any party. Right? That's okay. Because there's really only one party we declare. You ready? The kingdom of the living God. That kingdom is being built and will arrive when Jesus blows that trumpet. Are you willing to have the dialogue? Yes or no? That's your response today. Let's have a dialogue this week with those that we don't understand. But let's love them. Let's not try to have, be like these Pharisees to have a plan in place to convince. I cannot convince you anyways. You know how I know I kind of convince some of you guys? Because I see you guys once in a while. If I could convince you guys, I'll be with you guys every day. But that's life. Welcome to life, everybody. Welcome to life when we don't get along and we don't understand each other and all that. It's life. It's not going to happen just at this church. It's going to happen at any church you go to. 
or any person or any football program or sports program. You go, why? Because we are in we are fallible people in need of the infallible word of God, who is Jesus Christ. And as Jesus addressed taxes, his issue is not the tax, his issue is your heart. So this comes to my place of giving. May we always give from the central totality of our gospel-centered hearts. If we cannot see giving as a gift from God, don't give. But I will remind you that he loved you so much that he gave you his best. What a blessing to know that today's message is that Jesus is the true teacher. And as we see religious politics, religious manipulation, and religious redemption, I want you to see what his baby brother, Jesus' baby brother says. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. You ready? This is what you should be doing. This is what you should be doing from church today. Here's your action steps. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unsustained from the world. This is what he's basically saying. Be in the world, but not of the world. Serve people. Love them. Those who are abandoned. Those who are orphans. Those who are widows or widowers. Those who are in their shut-ins. Those who are by themselves. Even in COVID-19, this does not change. We are still called to love each other in the name of Jesus. We are called to serve them. Give them money. Give them food. Give them words of encouragement. Read scripture. Pray over them. Even I would dare to to, uh, devise the, uh, to come against CDC rules. And we are to lay hands on them too all those things don't change guys so what am i saying there are certain things in government that we do not follow as the church of god yes we want to be a good testimony oh how i've heard that so much right if you want to be a good testimony to our community you ready preach the gospel call out sin love them to the beauty of christ i love how james purifies the word religion religion is not a good word to be used in these days and we get it right but in one instance the baby brother of Jesus proclaims this is what we are to do with our relationship with the Lord we are to serve and visit people let me encourage you guys serve somebody serve somebody today call somebody up encourage them in the faith and remember this That as you stay true to the sufficiency of the word, no matter what comes your way, like Jesus, this would be your authority. And even if you don't understand the fullness of it, we trust and we believe that what we don't understand, God will make clarity for the glory of his name. With every head bowed and eyes closed, God, we come to you. As we finish up our time in our service today, God, we pray that you would give us peace. You would give us clarity. You would give us continued understanding that comes directly from your word. Your documented word that's breathed out by your voice, your breath, your mouth itself. And so, God, we pray that whatever that we don't understand, we would understand. Because you promised, Lord, 
that your spirit would bring back to remembrance everything that we have been taught by you. If there's anyone in this room that is not experiencing you or aren't in fellowship with you, Lord, make that right through the preaching of your word, the proclamation of the word, through the receiving of the word, through your Holy Spirit. We love you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, and God's Ohana says loud and proud.